Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, please speak to us this evening. May we hear your voice, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, in case you haven't worked it out from the hymns, the theme tonight is kingship. I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word king, or when you think of monarchy, what comes to mind? Um, I think that we have, well, kind of a mixed blessing in this country. Um, We live under a monarchy, but maybe therefore that skews our understanding of what a true monarchy is. We're a constitutional monarchy where actually our king or our queen has, in theory, absolute power, but in practice, very limited power. And almost there is the option as to whether to follow her or not. Um, I live, I guess, or I grew up in a divided household, by which I mean my mother is quite a keen monarchist, and my father is quite a staunch Republican. Most of the time, this is not a problem. There's one day in the year when really these different feelings about monarchy come to the fore, which tends to be Christmas Day. And what happens is, obviously, it's mum's responsibility to cook the turkey and do all of the meal, and it's dad's responsibility to do the clearing up, which he then palms off partly onto the children, and so we have to help him. And what happens is, I'm always chivying him along, trying to encourage him to go a bit faster, because I am pretty much a monarchist as well, and I want to hear on the one day of the year what my queen is going to say. And he deliberately drags out the washing up, because he says, I don't want to listen to what that old woman has to say. She lives a life of privilege. She's got nothing to do with my life. Why should I listen to what she's got to say to me? I'm not her subject. You know, I never voted for her. Yeah, okay, Dad, thank you. Can you get a move on, please? Just hurry up with those pans, because I want to hear what she's got to say. My dad's not interested in the Queen on Christmas Day. But an interesting thing happened a few years ago, and actually, was it two weeks ago, last week, was it her Sapphire Jubilee, um, 65 years on the throne. Not a huge amount was made of it in the media, compared to, obviously, five years ago, if you remember the Diamond Jubilee, all of the different celebrations, there was, what, four days of events, there was the service at St. Paul's Cathedral, there was the concert outside Buckingham Palace, and the centerpiece was the huge flotilla, where there was a thousand ships going down the Thames, And about six months before that day, my parents phoned me up. They said, oh, they live in Lancashire, where I grew up. They said, we want to come down and visit you. We want to come down and stay the weekend and visit you in London. I said, okay, yeah. Which weekend are you thinking of? They told me these dates. In June, was it, or in July? And I said, hang on, but you do realize it's going to be really busy then. That's the Diamond Jubilee, Diamond Jubilee weekend. My dad says, oh, yes. That's the very reason we're coming down. We want to see the ships. And I said, but Dad, you're a Republican. You can't possibly come down and celebrate the Queen's 60 years on the throne. Remember what you say every Christmas Day. He says, well, I know. But it's going to be an impressive procession. And I'm a photographer. 
and I like to take pictures of tall ships and flotillas on the Thames, I'm going to come down. And so, lo and behold, he came down. Uh, me and my parents went, and we didn't quite camp out overnight, but we got there pretty early in the morning, so that we were there in time for the wind and the rain, but to be able to see the procession as it went past. My dad, therefore, has this strange pick-and-choose when it comes to the monarchy, you know? He's not really interested in the Queen and in what she has to say to him most of the time. But if there's an exciting event that she's putting on, he'll be there, he'll take his camera, he'll take photos. Those photos will win him competitions for the next five years in his local photography um, society, and he'll be very happy with that. But he won't consider himself a monarchist. I think we have this strange pick-and-choose idea of what it means to live under a monarchy, where our monarch is either maybe an aging, great example of public service, or maybe coming up the strange kind of oddity of a person who talks to trees and plants. You know, This is our understanding of monarchy. I want to suggest the biblical understanding is something a little bit different. It's something a little bit more serious. It's not an opt-in, opt-out whenever you want to. There is a serious compact that is made between a monarch and his or her people in Old Testament times. And I want to suggest that is the sort of king that Jesus still is for us today. It's not an opt-in, opt-out, or, yeah, I want the procession, I'll turn up for the parade, but I'm not going to bother listening to you when you speak. That's not the sort of kingship that Jesus has. It is an all-or-nothing thing. If you paid attention to that reading from 1 Samuel, it's pretty striking what the role of the monarch is, or what, actually, the privileges of the monarch are. And Saul, sorry, Saul, Samuel says to the people, you don't know what you're asking for. If you ask for a king, you'll come to regret it. Actually, there will come a point where you will cry out to, for relief from the king. And the people say, no, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We don't have a figurehead. We want a king. And so Samuel says, if you have a king you realize what will happen. The king can choose from your children who's going to serve him. If you've got any sons, he can turn up at any moment and say, you know, this looks like the tallest, the strongest in the family. No longer is he going to work on your farm. No longer is he going to help you in the family business. I need him. He's going to come and join me in the army. Maybe he's going to be a general. Maybe he's going to be a commander. Maybe he's just going to be a foot soldier. Maybe He's going to die in the very next battle when the Philistines attack. I don't care whether you've got problems with that. I need him. The king's got authority to do that. He can come and grab anyone and say, I need you to work in this particular role. If you've got a daughter who's especially good at baking or at jewelry making, or even, dare I say it, it's hinted at in the text, if she's especially attractive, the king can say, I want her. I've got a role for her. She's coming to work for me in my palace. You've got no choice. You've got no say in that as a parent anymore. You don't get to choose the occupation of your children or the lifestyle they have. No, the king decides that. King can also come at any point and say, I need your land. You're using that for farming? I need it. 
for farming. Or maybe all those crops that you've grown, actually I need that, a tenth, a twentieth, but maybe 50%, maybe 80%. The king is entitled to take anything that he wants because he's the king, because all of the land ultimately belongs to him. Maybe your business has been going well. And you think, yeah, this is great. I'm going to kick back and enjoy life. The king turns up and says, no, I need to triple your taxes because we've got some particularly difficult government business coming up. Or, you know, the army is getting more expensive to maintain. I'm going to take your money. The king in that paradigm has absolute authority to be able to say to any person, this is going to be your occupation. I want you to do this. And to be able to take any land, any money, any object and say, I need this. I need this for the good of the nation. It's a huge privilege that the king has to be able to do that. But he has a responsibility on his side of the bargain as well. The people say to Samuel, we want a king. We want someone to lead us out and fight our battles for us. The king is the one who is responsible when, and it's never if in the Old Testament, when the Philistines turn up or the Amalekites turn up or whoever it is, the Assyrians turn up, the Babylonians turn up. There's always an enemy that's going to turn up. There's always a battle on the horizon that needs to be fought. The king is the one who's responsible for leading the army out, fighting the battle, and not just fighting, winning. The king is there to win the battle. That is ultimately his job, to lead the people out in victory and win the battle, in response for which he has the authority to take any person, any land, any possession, any money that he needs. I want to suggest that is biblical kingship. That's the deal that these Israelites willingly enter into with God. They say, we know what we're asking for. We want a king like the other nations to lead us and fight our battles for us. And in response, we're willing to make this trade-off. I want to suggest Jesus is that sort of king. He is the king that we as his followers should be prepared to give up everything, whether it is land, wealth, our vocation, our children's vocation, whatever it is we want to do with our life, we are to give that up for him. And in return, he is the one who will go out and fight our battles and lead us. Now, to be honest, I don't know about you. For me, I've realized I often get this the wrong way around. We tend to have this mindset of, I'm in charge of my life. I'm the one who's going to lead my life. Maybe I'm going to lead other people as well and tell them what to do. I'm going to lead. I'm going to fight the battle. I'm going to win the victory. And in return for which, Lord, I want you to do whatever I ask of you. That's often the misguided, twisted understanding that we come to God with. I'm in control. I'm going to decide what to do. I'm going to fight the victory. I'm going to win against whatever the enemy is. I can do it. All that responsibility is on me. In return for which, Lord, I expect you to answer all of my prayers, no matter how selfish, whenever I pray them. That's your role. This is my role. We've got it completely backwards. We should be looking at this Old Testament paradigm of leadership. 
Jesus' responsibility as king is to lead and to fight the battles and to win the victory. Our responsibility is to give up everything and follow him. In some ways, maybe that's harder. In some ways, it's much an easier, lesser burden. Though. Because Jesus says, wherever there are battles, wherever there are problems, whatever the challenge is that you're going through, I'm the one that can fight that victory for you. I'm the one that wants to win that battle for you. I can do that. Trust me, I'll fight the battle for you. All you have to do is be prepared to give up everything and follow. I work for a charity called One Rock um, that does Christian-based leadership training. And I guess this is a huge passion and fascination of mine now. Um, we tend to focus, we say that most of our teaching is in two areas. There's spiritual formation. So how do we grow in our relationship with God and walk in a mature way, understanding what it means to be a Christian and follow him? And we teach leadership skills. How do we manage to plan and um, use our time effectively and mobilize others into teams and be able to make visions come to pass? And it's that spiritual leadership. And I love the fact that those two can go together because so often we tend to think of them as opposites. Almost like if I was to give a one-word definition of leadership, or maybe it's a two-word definition, it would be something like taking responsibility. Yeah? A leader is the one who says, this is a mess, we're going to sort it out. Or a leader is the one who says, this is the direction we're going to go in, I know what we should be doing, come on, follow me, let's make this happen. That's what we expect, especially when things go wrong, we expect leaders to step up and take responsibility. As opposed to, I think our kind of definition of spirituality, or what it should be, is mature spirituality is recognizing God is responsible. You know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything of worth aside from Jesus. He is the one who is taking responsibility. So how does that work? Whose responsibility is it? Is it ours? Because we want to be competent and we want to be mature as, as leaders and be able to get stuff done. Or is it Jesus's? I want to suggest it's not either or, it's both. We are responsible for our actions, but God is responsible for the outcomes of those actions. We're responsible for saying, okay, Lord, I will fight if need be, but God is the one that brings about the victory. We are responsible for the things that we have been called to do and for doing them diligently, but we can't tell whether they're going to bear fruit or not. And when we try and take responsibility for the fruit, that's when we get stressed, I'm burnt out, and it's too much responsibility for us. God says, I want to take that responsibility. You just play your part faithfully, and I will be the one that chooses whether it's going to bear fruit or not. We have a responsibility, but God has a greater responsibility for what he does through us. We're also fascinated at our charity with the stories of amazing men and women of the past. Men and women who have lived out these lives that God has used. Um, and we study them to work out the secrets of how can we follow. One of those people is a guy called Hudson Taylor. Has anyone heard of Hudson Taylor? Oh, good stuff. Amazing missionary to China. 
Hudson Taylor. He went as a man on his own in the middle of the 19th century. Ultimately, he became responsible for sending about 900 missionaries to China. Um, he set up an organization called the China Inland Mission that was trying to evangelize all of the remote areas of China. Incredible man of God used to bring the gospel to so many parts of China where they had never heard of the name of Jesus before. There's a brilliant moment in Hudson Taylor's life. It's 1865. He's come back from China because he was sick. He went there as a missionary on his own. He spent a few years there. He saw a little bit of fruit, but he was sent home by the doctors because he had a fever. He became ill. He convalesced. He started to get better in England, and he felt like God was calling him back to China. And not only for him to go, but also to start to mobilize and take a team of people to go. And he said, Lord, how can I do that? How can I take responsibility for this team of people? When I went, I nearly died. My own health was nearly destroyed. How can I take responsibility for leading a team of others into that place where they may be in war zones, where they may be in places where they're going to get diseases, where they're going to be in danger? How can I take that responsibility? There's an amazing quote he writes in his journal. 25th of June, 1865. He's at a Christian conference in Brighton, and he goes out one evening to talk with God about it. I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony, and there the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for this service. I told him that all the responsibility as to issues and consequences must rest with him. That as his servant, it was mine to obey and to follow him, his to direct, to care for, and to guide me and those who might labor with me. Need I say that peace at once flowed into my burdened heart? There and then, I asked him for 24 fellow workers, two for each of the 11 inland provinces, which were without a missionary, and two for Mongolia. If we are obeying the Lord, the responsibility rests with him, not with us. I go forward, leaving results with thee. I love that. If we are obeying the Lord, the responsibility rests with him, not with us. I go forward, leaving results with thee. I want to encourage you. Wherever you're at this evening, whatever it is that God is calling you to, give the burden of it back to him. You don't need to shoulder all of it. It is not your burden to have to lead, to have to fight the battles, to have to make sure everything is done. It is not your burden to take responsibility for the outcome. You are responsible for your actions before the Lord. If he's called you to something, then yes, do it. But go forward, leaving results with him. Because he's the king. He's the one who is going to lead you out and fight the battles and win the victory. You don't need to have that burden of the outcome. He will take that. You just need to play your part which is to be prepared wherever the king turns up in your life to say, Lord, that's yours, you can have it. 
yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will give up everything. I will do whatever it is you call me to. I go forward leaving results with you. As ever, isn't Jesus our ultimate model in this? We know in our salvation, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. If we die, we can have confidence that we are going to live forever with him in heaven, not because of our own righteousness, not because we deserve it, because we don't deserve it. We're all sinners, but Jesus has won the battle. He died on the cross having lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death so that we can be forgiven. That's the whole miracle of Christianity. That's the amazing truth of our faith. We don't have to try and impress God. We don't have to be worried that we aren't going to match up to what he expects from us. He knows we're not going to match up and he loves us and forgives us and blesses us anyway. Jesus has won the victory. He's already won the victory over sin and over death so that you don't need to be afraid of that ultimate barrier that we all go through. He's won that victory, so please trust him with the other battles that you've got in your life, with the other issues that you are facing. You can trust him. He is the king. He is the one who wants to lead and go out and fight the battle and win the victory. Your response is merely, merely to give up everything and be prepared to follow him. And Jesus might not ask you to give up everything. The key is, are you prepared to give up the things that he highlights? You know, for the rich young man in the gospel reading, he comes and Jesus says to him, one thing you lack this huge wealth that you've got, I can see that this has become an issue in your heart. Give it all away and then you'll find freedom and come and follow me. The guy goes away sad because he is very wealthy. And the other disciples think, if this is, if this is Christianity, if this is following Jesus, how can any of us hope to be able to do this? And yet then Peter speaks up and says, but actually look, We've given up everything and started to follow you. There will always be people for whom they say that's too difficult. They say, I can't give this up, God. This is too much a part of my identity. This is me. You can have all of this other stuff, but I'm going to keep this little bit back. There's always going to be those people, but you don't need to be one of those people. There will always be people who say, God, I am going to give you everything. Like those first disciples. Look, Lord, actually, we've given up everything and we are following you. Like Hudson Taylor. Like the other amazing men and women of church history. Like the people that God is able to use the most. They say, okay, God, I don't have a huge amount. I don't have all of the intellect, all of the talent. I'm not the richest or the fairest, but whatever I have, it's yours. I go forward leaving results with you. If this is your call on my life, I will go. Wherever it is you ask me to go, whatever it is you call me to do, you can do that because you're my king. All authority belongs to you. It's all yours anyway. I will give up everything and follow. I go forward, leaving results with you. 
Whatever it is that you're struggling with this evening, whatever is the biggest challenge in your life, and we all come with struggles. I'd love to believe that people come to church and everything is perfect in their lives, but I know that's not true in my life, so I'm pretty sure it's not true in your lives as well. Whatever it is that you've come with tonight and you're struggling with, I want to encourage you, give it to God. If he's your king, he's the one who can shoulder that burden. He's the one who wants to fight that battle. He's the one that wants to lead you to victory. You don't have to carry all of that responsibility. All you have to do is follow lightly wherever it is he calls you. Whatever it is he says. Because he's the king. We're just the subjects who follow. He's the one that goes out to fight the battles. We give up everything to follow him. If we're following the Lord, the responsibility is with him, not with us. I go forward, Lord, leaving results with you.